With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth, practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, video tape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. All the way through these Corinthian letters, he is especially more than any others defending his apostleship, because every place he went, the Judaizers would say, "Well, you're not Peter. After all, Peter spent three years with the Lord, and Peter is our spokesman, and Peter is the one that we're going to listen to." And then there are other factions who said, "Well, we go by what Jesus said in his earthly ministry." Sound familiar? Does to me. And then there were those who said, "Well, Apollos is the man that we follow." And then on top of that, of course, he had that tremendous opposition from Satan throughout, of course, the pagan background, where they too were trying to stamp out this new idea. Now, I've often wondered why the Roman Empire, the the Roman government, came down so on Christianity when they didn't bother Judaism. In fact, I've read, and I'm sure some of you have, that the Roman authorities guaranteed that the offerings to the temple, from whatever sect of the Roman Empire, they guaranteed safe arrival. So they had no problem with with the Jews' religion; they protected it. But Christianity, my, they tried to stamp it out. And I think I finally found the answer to all that was that the Romans. Had due respect for any ancient religion, whether it was pagan or whatever, and consequently, since the Jews' religion went back into antiquity, the Romans had a, a high regard for it. But Christianity was something new. This was something that was more or less coming from the upstart of this one man, and consequently, they too had no compunctions about putting it to death and martyring those who were adhering to it. And so, as we've come through even the first couple chapters now of the second letter of the Corinthians, I want you to understand that the first letter was written from Ephesus, over there on what is today the、uh, land of Turkey on the western coast. And so, as he wrote First Corinthians from Ephesus, and it was a letter, of course, that came down real hard on many of their problems, their divisions, their immorality, and some of the other problems they had, and then. The second letter, as the one we're in now, was written sometime after he had been forced out of Ephesus because of the tremendous hatred for the gospel from the pagan followers of Diana. You remember whose statue oversaw the whole city of Ephesus. And so, after he had left Ephesus, he went up north into the northwest corner of what is now Turkey to the ancient city of Troas, which, those of you who are history buffs, was the city of Troy. 
And according to the uh, legends of Homer and so forth, it was Troy where you had the Trojan horse. And so that'll give you a little idea of, of the historical background. And so after leaving Ephesus, he stopped at Troas, or ancient Troy, and evidently began a little congregation there. But he was supposed to have met T Titus or Timothy? Now, I, now, now I'm confused. I think it was uh, Titus. And he gets to Troas in where is it? chapter 1, and uh, it was Titus. Chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. You might want to slip back to it a minute. Because I'm giving this background to show you why this man was under such constant satanic attack. Now listen, that's nothing new. You know, I've always taught, and I think I put on the program not too long ago, just as soon as God made that classic statement in Genesis 3.15, speaking to Satan, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Remember that? Now immediately, Satan knew what he was talking about. It was the coming of a Redeemer. And so he kicks in gear everything to prohibit the coming of a Redeemer for the human race. And then when the Abrahamic covenant was given to Abraham, again Satan understood that this was now the vehicle that God was going to use to bring about the seed of the woman. And so what does Satan do? He turns on the nation of Israel. And all the way up through Israel's history, there is that satanic attack and the uh, apparent desire to destroy the nation of Israel. Because if Satan could destroy Israel, then God's whole program would fall apart. Well, it's the same way now as you come into the advent of Christianity. Satan is going to do everything in his power to disrupt it, to destroy it, in order to thwart the very program of God. All right, the verse we were looking at now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, where the apostle has been under such pressure from the persecutors of Ephesus, and now he's up at Troas hoping to meet Titus. And then you remember in verse 13, he says, I had no rest in my spirit, that is, in his own innermost being, because I found not Titus my brother. Now imagine, there was no communication. He couldn't just, you know, even go to a telegraph office, as those of you who are older would probably think of as being antiquitous. But no way of communicating. There was no way of Titus telling Paul, well, I haven't been able to make it, but I will. And so after no doubt waiting a few days and ministering to the people at Troas, he finally had to go on his way, not knowing what had happened to Titus. Well, from there, of course, he went on up to Philippi, which is clear up in northern Greece. And it was probably at Philippi then that he had become so deathly sick that he despaired of life itself and thought that his ministry had come to an end. And all of that was heaped on the man, uh, I think, by satanic forces. But God, on the other hand, said, it's in weakness that we make you strong. And so Paul had to rely on that. Well, now then, as we come into chapter 4, once again, he's going to defend his apostleship because of all the innuendos that were leveled against him, because of all of the attacks of the Judaizers and uh, the other forces that were in the man's life. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint 
not. Oh, but he was close. He was human. He was, I think, despaired. And then verse 2, but he says, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. Now, does that ring a bell? Come back again with me. You remember the words we used back in chapter 2, verse 17? Not the same Greek word, but it's awful close. And so here again, the, the apostle is showing us that he is not in this for personal gain. He's not in it for wealth. He's not in it for fame. He's only in it for one purpose, and that is to see lost humanity given the gospel. All right, you got chapter 2, verse 17 for just a quick review. For he says, we are not as many who corrupt. Now, you remember when we talked about it in, in one of our previous programs? The word corrupt is translated in uh, the Septuagint back in Isaiah chapter 2, I think it's verse 22, as water mixed with wine. Well, when you throw water in with good wine, what do you do to it? You adulterate it. You corrupt it, see? And so that's exactly what the word means here in verse 17. He wasn't doing that. He was not watering down his message with something that would tickle people's ears. He was not giving them a message that would just make people feel good. That would have been an adulteration. That would have been a corruption, see? And uh, then the other part of the Greek word of corrupt in verse 17 was like, like a street salesman, a hawker, who is out simply hawking his goods, but... Those kind of fellows are usually a little bit suspect because they do not have the best quality products because they too are adulterated. And so all of this fits together where Paul says, I'm not like those kind of people and I'm not coming with something that's corrupted, adulterated, or cheap. I'm coming with the real thing. All right, back to chapter 4 then, if you will. Reading on in verse 2, he said, We're not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the Truth. Now, you know, truth is an elusive thing, isn't it? A lot of our universities used to put across their main gate, you know, seeking after truth in one way or another. But uh, truth can be so, uh, so elusive many times. And yet, if we just get in and search the Scriptures, the truth comes out. Well, I've been thrilled. Yesterday morning I had three phone calls in a row. All people from a particular denomination that I feel is way out in left field. I'll never name them. It's nobody's business who they are. But three calls from different parts of the country, and they all said, Bless you, open my eyes. I never realized that I was under such false teaching. Well, it wasn't that I opened their eyes. The fact was they did what I'm telling people to do. What does the book say? And that's where they found out that they were under a lot of false doctrine. They couldn't find it in the book. It was coming from their pulpit, but it wasn't in here. And that's all it took. And they came away from it. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not here to deride any group. But if you can line up with their preaching in the book, fine. I've got no opposition to that. But so much of what we're hearing is not in the book. It's men's ideas and people are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker, and then suddenly realizing that they've been led down some back alley. All right, verse 3. But, see, but. Now, everybody that ever listened to me at least once knows what that means. That's the flip side. 
the flip side. He's not coming with an adulterated product. He's not coming with something cheap. He's not coming as a hawker out on the street hawking his wares. But, he says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost. See? Now, just mull that over. If Paul says our gospel is hid, now the, the, the better translation should have been the same word that was used as veiled back in chapter 3. And uh, in fact, fl flip back again just for a quick review. Chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. What's also in verse 15? Even to this day when Moses had read, the veil is upon their heart. What has been happening? Something has been hidden from them, see? And now, uh, verse 16, Nevertheless, when it, the veil, uh, or the heart rather, when it shall be turned to the Lord, the veil, that which was hiding, shall be taken away. All right, now you bring that same concept up into verse 3. If our gospel is veiled, something is over it, so that hearts cannot comprehend it. What has to happen? Well, someone has to remove the veil. And who is, in this case, holding the veil in place? Satan is. Read on. But if our gospel be veiled, it is veiled to them who are lost. Next verse. In whom? These lost people. In whom the God of this world and who is that? Satan is. Now, a lot of people don't like to talk about Satan. They think he's more or less a cartoon character in a little uh, red underwear suit and a pitchfork and some horns on his head. Listen, that's not the Satan of the Bible. The Satan of the Bible is a powerful being. Paul says in another place that he can transform himself into an angel of what? Light. See? And this is what he's doing so expeditiously today. He is constantly confusing the issues with his seeming light. But it's satanic. And so here again, it's Satan, the god of this world, who has blinded the minds of them who will not repent. No, it doesn't say that. He is blinding the minds of them who will not be baptized. doesn't say that. So what is God's controversy? They won't believe. You've heard me say that more than once, haven't you? It's not that we have to repent. It's not that we have to run down some aisle in penitence. What does God demand? That we believe the gospel. Now, I guess it's a good time. Jerry Poole isn't here today, but if he would, he'd be winking at me, and I know what he'd be saying. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. And bless his heart, Jerry started coming to my, my class years ago, and I guess one of the first Thursday nights he attended, I must have struck a chord with 1 Corinthians 15, these first four verses. The Gospel. There is no clearer place in the whole Bible where the, where the gospel is laid out in full. This beats John 3.16 a hundred miles. Now, I've got nothing against John 3.16, but John 3.16 can't even come close to what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. All right, now, any time that Paul makes a reference to the gospel, 
in any of his epistles, it's always this one. All right? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Absolutely. Today there is one gospel, which I preached unto you, which you have received, and wherein you stand. That was all it took. When they believed the gospel, then God literally moves heaven and earth to bring that person to a place of enlightenment. And as soon as we believe the gospel, this book begins to open up. And it begins to make sense. But not until. And here it is, in all of its simplicity, that verse 2, by which you are what? Saved. See how plain that is? It's by this gospel that we are saved. I don't care whether it was in Corinth or any other area of the world, whether it was back in 50 A.D. or whether it's in the present year, makes no difference. This is the gospel that saves lost people. All right? By which you're saved, verse 2, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest you believed in vain. Don't believe the wrong thing. Because, listen, God is meticulous. Again, this same Jerry had, had been to a funeral of a dear friend, a good person. And I'll never forget the look on Jerry's face. And he said, Les, is there any chance God might compromise this a little bit and let this person in? No way. God is not a compromiser. God has made the plan of salvation so simple, so plain, that he is not going to let someone slip in a side door and say, well, I thought. You know, that's what Cain did. You know, I always have to go back to Cain and Abel. They were so typical. My, they were typical. Abel did just exactly what God said to do. He believed what God said, and he acted on it. But old Cain, you know the word I've used for 20 years, what did he do? He rationalized. He rationalized. And old Cain said, yeah, but I think, I think that if I do this, and if I come on with all of this effort, God will accept me. But did he? No. And I've often said, I shouldn't be a bit surprised that Cain was probably a better person than Abel. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Because he tried. But what was his problem? He didn't believe what God said. And it's the same way today. If people are going to somehow or other connive around this simple gospel, I don't believe God's going to accept them. Now, I don't know hearts. I don't ever pretend to. But I have to go by what the book says, and the book says that this is the gospel by which people are saved. All right, here it is, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, here we come back to his revelations again from the ascended Lord. Not from Christ's earthly ministry, but from the ascended Lord. The finished work of the cross now behind and now he says, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. It wasn't just an afterthought. It was in that whole preordained plan of the ages that Christ went to the cross. And then verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, that's the gospel. Now, isn't that simple? Oh, there's no strings attached. There is no prescribed ritual. There is no particular way that you have to do this. You can believe it at the kitchen sink. You can believe it driving down the road. You can believe it when you wake up in the middle of the night. And you can say, yes, I see it. 
For me, the sinner, there's only one remedy, and that is that Christ died for my sins and He arose from the dead. And then God does all the rest. God saves us. God sets our feet on a rock and He begins to open up the Scriptures and we begin to comprehend the truth of it from cover to cover. Now, it's not going to happen all at once, but salvation is. You know, I had to tell a class long, long time ago, salvation is not a process. Salvation is an event. Salvation is an instantaneous event. Christian growth is a process. Bible understanding is a process. But salvation is a one-time event. And what an event! To be translated from darkness to light. To know sins forgiven and to be known that you're justified. And that all happens instantaneously, see? And uh, again, uh, I noticed it in my study throughout this last week, and I've been going through again all of Paul's letters, looking, because I had a question come up in one of the classes the other night. Do you realize that it is never taught? Now, this is going to ruffle feathers all across the country. Do you know that it is never taught that in this age of grace we have to beg God to forgive us our sins? Think about it. And yet, for most people who are going to put out the plan of salvation, they say, you have to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You have to repent. I can't find that. It's not in here. But you know what my Bible tells me? And I think, yeah, i got time enough. You know what my Bible tells me? That when Christ died the death of that cross, He took on Himself not just the sins of those who are saved, he took on the sin of every human being that has ever lived. And when He took every human being's sin, He could cry to the Father, those sins are forgiven. They're buried in the deepest sea, never, never to be brought before us again. And so even when lost people slip out of this life into eternity, their sins are already forgiven. Now, when we get into chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, we're going to find the word reconciliation, and the same thing applies. Every human being that has ever lived has now been reconciled to God by virtue of the work of the cross. But, and I had to think half the night how I could clarify this, Congress, oh, those guys who hold the money bags, and they can just hand it out by the billions. Okay, so Congress appropriates so many billion dollars for a particular program. And there it is. And there it is going to stay until somebody out there starts drawing on it. Am I right? Is that government process? You know it is. All right, the billions are already appropriated. But they won't do a nickel's worth of good until somebody draws on it and puts it to use. Well, that's God. At the cross, God paid the payment for every person's sin. He paid their eternal doom. He did everything that needed to be done. So that now all lost people have to do is draw on it. How? By believing the gospel. But you see, the reason they're never going to enjoy all the ramifications of that finished work is they're never going to draw on it by believing. They're never going to exercise the faith that God demands. Isn't that sad? You know, I think I made it plain on this program. When people go to the lake of fire for all eternity, they're not going there because of their sin. 
They're not going there because of their drunkenness and their adultery and their gambling or whatever else you might want to call sin. No, that's not what they're going there for. They're going there because of their unbelief. And if I don't be remembered for anything else, I want to be remembered for that. That lost humanity is going to their eternal doom for only one reason. They refuse to believe that everything is already done. And isn't that sad? How sad. All right. And who, now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And who is keeping them from seeing all this? The powers of Satan. And how does he do it? I think his number one choice of modus operandi today is to keep people so busy. Everybody is so busy. Our kids are all involved in sports from the time they get old enough to walk. And it is a constant bombarding of our time with everything but the things that count. And this is Satan's biggest instrument. And there's nothing wrong with a lot of those things. There's nothing wrong with kids playing t-ball. There's nothing wrong with kids playing basketball. But what's it doing? It's keeping their minds so occupied that they never have time to think in terms of the spiritual. And all oh, the devil loves it. The more he can keep people in programs and the more he can keep people with their eyes on the material, the more he can say, I've got them veiled. I'm keeping them blinded. I'm the winner. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369 That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.